Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Heritage Mississauga's Indigenous Conversations webinar series. This is the first of a four-part series that will continue into winter. I am Jamie Gaspar, Executive Director of Heritage Mississauga. We have a large group with us today. Thank you all for joining us. Welcome. We acknowledge that the land on which we present from today is part of the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. We recognize the importance of this land and pay our respects to the Anishinaabe and other First Nations, Métis and Inuit, past, present and future. We would like to thank and recognize our sponsors, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation and the Rotary Club of Mississauga for their financial support to bring Indigenous conversations to a wider community through this webinar series. With us today is the president of the Rotary Club of Mississauga, Hashim Takvi, who will bring greetings from the Rotary Club. Thank you, Jamie. The Rotary Club of Mississauga has been an active, consistent, and integral service-oriented organization, partner with the Mississauga community for just short of 70 years. And I am 70th president of this Rotary Club. Our history of support for local and overseas initiatives is impressive, long and varied. Rotary's motto of service above self is reflected in our four-way test, which is repeated at every official Rotary gathering. This test encourages us to examine our motives, passion, and commitment. Its ethical premise directs us to consider others in all we do. The Rotary Club of Mississauga is one of four Rotary Clubs active in Mississauga. They are the Rotary Club of Mississauga, Streetsville, RC Mississauga West, and RC Mississauga Meadowville. These clubs together and separately raise hundreds of thousands of dollars annually to support local charities, youth, education, environment, peace, and health. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hashim. We really appreciate your support. Ladies and gentlemen, after the presentation, we will provide time for questions. So please type your questions into the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. The first speaker in our series is Kim Wheatley, who will present Going with the Flow, Ancestral Relationships with Water. Kim is an ancestral knowledge keeper and an Anishinaabe traditional grandmother. She is Turtle Clan and a band member of Shawanaga First Nation Reserve. She is an award-winning, multi-award-winning, uh, multi excuse me, public speaker who has presented locally, nationally, and internationally for three decades. As a longtime water walker, Grandmother Kim has co-authored four books focused on water, wetlands, and the creatures that inhabit those spaces. She is a ceremonialist, artist, event organizer, singer, drummer, cultural consultant, and a member of Heritage Mississauga's Indigenous Programs Committee. Please welcome Kim Wheatley. Oh, Anin, Bojo, Sego, Tonse, Kwe Kwe, Kinawea. Greetings, my relatives. And thank you for that beautiful introduction, Jamie, and the invitation to share in a good way um, today. It's my honor to be here, and I want to start off in a good way. So I'm going to cyber smudge you. 
Some of you might not be used to this process, but this is the way that we take care of each other. And it's how I like to start things in a good way. I'm trying to stay on track today. So I'm going to use a PowerPoint to support my cultural share, and hopefully it will help you to visually embrace some of the traditional teachings that I want to offer on this day. I want to speak in my language and introduce myself in the language, because when we, when we start with the medicines, we're starting in a sacred way. We're opening up that doorway between the seen and the unseen worlds, and for us, they are equal and they are important, and it's where I draw the ancestral wisdoms from. So, Anin Bojo, Mishikayan Dodem, Shkudenigan Wawaskonen Indijnakaz, Shwanagan Dunji, Curve Lake, and Dunjaba Nishinabe Kwe Ojibwe Bodawatami Indao. I am indeed head or leader of the Fire Flower, often referred to as Grandmother Kim. I come from Shwanaga First Nations, as you heard, and I am Anishinaabe. So I want to acknowledge the traditional treaty territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit because they are a sister community to us and one that I have uh, a, a very beloved relationship with. So I thank, I thank them for continuing to do the good work that they do. So I'm going to, I'm going to load my um, PowerPoint and launch right in because I have so much to share with you. And uh, I know that listening to this via a podcast at some point so I'm going to do my best to describe where possible um, the images that I am showing so that I can help emphasize your learning you know when it comes to water and talking about water for many people uh it's, it's seen as uh, something that is external from us. It is seen as something that is outside of who we are. And we know this not to be true. One of the translations for the word Anishinaabe is water being. There are many, I know that the, the outside world has renamed us many times. You know, we started off with Indian and Indios and North American Indian and Red Indian. And, um, and then, you know, more contemporary times, we have the words like First Nations and Aboriginal. And the latest rendition is Indigenous. So, you know, we, we keep getting renamed. But what we call ourselves is Anishinaabe. And... Uh, Anishinaabe is an important word. It describes lots about who we are. We have a verb-based language, and this verb-based language creates pity, our way of life. So in thinking about this water presentation, and there are many talking about water today, I really wanted to share with you that the word Anishinaabe can be translated into water beings. And we know that we are a microcosm of the macrocosm. The earth is 70% water and so is the human body. So there our relationship in the micro and macro is emphasized and also interwoven. I apologize for the barking in the background. I have two dogs and I think that something's wandering around in the bush behind me. 
And I started off with a smudge. Smudging is a sacred ceremony. It's the way we cleanse our minds so that we think only good things. And it's the way we cleanse our eyes so we can see clearly what is being shared. And it's the way that we cleanse our ears so we can hear what it is that another is trying to communicate. And we cleanse our mouths so that we speak only good words. I always take some of that smudge and put it over our hearts because you don't know uh, what kind of life walk an individual is having. And you want to make sure you're taking care of yourself so that you can be in right relationship with all those that you interact with. And then I always give some to the earth. Why? Because she's our mother. She has always been our mother. She's our first mother. And so I honor and thank her. When it comes to ceremonial openings, smudging is just one way. Another important part of ceremonial uh, protocols and practices is to have it is a living being for us. It's really important. It's one of four sacred medicines that we hold dear and near. Cedar, sage, sweetgrass, and tobacco are kind of like the heads or the leaders of the medicines. All medicines are sacred. All medicines have a, a role and a gifting and a responsibility to all of creation. But tobacco in particular, they say, is the first medicine given to us by creator to speak to all of creation in a good way. And so our practice is that when we are invited to share, we are presented with tobacco. It gives us permission to speak. Sometimes it's a thank you. Sometimes it's a request. Maybe you have a, a question you want to ask uh, a member of our communities. So it's important to have this tobacco on hand and to offer it. What you're seeing here is a tobacco tie. And I'm just going to imagine that I have a tobacco tie sitting here to allow me to speak today. Now let's get right into it. And you know, we look at uh, our great island, the one that we call Turtle Island. It's been renamed as well. It's now known as North America. And Turtle Island is the place where we were taught the creator placed us here to be in harmony with the land and all things that reside upon the great turtle's back. It's part of our creation story cosmology. And it's our core belief that relationship with all things is always based on respect, deep respect. And so when we start anything, we start by acknowledging the land. We start by acknowledging all the sands, the soils, the clays, the gravels, the rocks, the stone beings in the mountains. These are the most ancient beings on earth, the ones that we call grandmothers and grandfathers, and the ones that hold us up and teach us about strength and resilience. And the lifeblood of the earth is the water. I want to jump into who we are. A lot of times when we use these, these words, these different names that have been given to us, people get confused. But there are three groupings of Indigenous people in Canada. This is enshrined in the Constitution. And they call us First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. And these groups are unique, sovereign nations. As sovereign nations, we have a nation-to-nation -nation agreement with Canada. And part of that agreement includes the sharing of all resources. We live all across Canada, and we're also older than Canada. We have been here for time immemorial. And that word immemorial is really hard for lots of people to embrace. Traditional teachings say we've been here for over 60,000 years. 60,000 years is a long time. 
archaeology and geology and all of those ologies have yet to catch up to the length of time that we believe we have existed on these lands. Another important thing to know is we have always been here. We've never gone to anybody else's land and claimed or renamed it. We've always stayed here close to the earth that was given to us, the one that we love and, and continue to honor through our ceremonies, our practices, our words, our language. So many ways to reinforce our relationship to what sustains life. We speak many languages and we have many unique customs, clothing, songs, artwork, histories, cosmologies. There isn't a homogenization of who we are in our great diversity. And this is difficult when you just have three terms, First Nations, Métis, Inuit. There's this idea that we all know and carry the same kind of uh, engagement practices. While there are commonalities about, uh, throughout that, we're also very unique. Uh, one thing that is common amongst all of us is we believe in kind relationships. We have always welcomed people from around the world into our home. You might not know this, but there are over 634 First Nations in Canada, and we're speaking over 50 languages, not to mention the various dialects. So the diversity is extraordinary. I spoke about the Canadian Constitution, and I spoke about the three groupings that are officially recognized. And the other thing I'd like to mention is that because we're sovereign nations, we do have special rights and privileges. This is our land, and Canada is built on stolen land. It is still ours, and we have never given up our rights to the land, but we've always committed to sharing the land. In our world, we refer to ourselves as Great Lakes people oftentimes. And we have many, many nations that are Anishinaabe. Some of the common ones here in Southern Ontario or in Ontario as a whole that you'll hear about are the Ojibwe and the Odawa, the Potawatomi, of course, the Mississaugas. And we have the Chippewas and the Algonquin people. These are all Anishinaabe nations. So think of the word of uh, Anishinaabe as a, a big umbrella that embraces a lot of nations, but we all speak a similar language. And we have an intimate relationship to the waters. The Great Lakes are considered sacred to us. And we have special names for them. And we have always cared for them. We have never used the Great Lakes as a dumping ground, as a place to be disrespectful, as a, as a, a non-living entity. For us, this life force is the, the visible embodiment of the, the actual veins of the earth, you know, the, the lifeblood of the earth. The, the place that it nourishes all of creation. All these nations look at that in the exact same way. We have what we would call four R's of engagement. We have these ways of engaging with the seen and the unseen. So I talked about this when I opened up the presentation today. You know, when we light the smudge, we're inviting spirit to step forward and sit with us, maybe speak through us. And we, we try to do that in a really respectful way by talking from our hearts. So as you're listening today, I hope you're traveling from your head space down to your heart space and just opening that up to embrace the words that I'm offering on this day. In our headspace, we have judgment and ego. 
But when we go down to our heart space, this is the space from which spirit talks to us and also gifts us. This is the place of kindness and universal engagement. This is the place that plants seeds that are sustainable for time immemorial. You will always remember how something makes you feel. So when we have heart speak and we engage from our hearts, we are trying to plant the best seed possible based on that first premise or foundation of respect. And once we have respect in place, we evolve into some sort of a relationship. And hopefully that relationship reminds us that we're equal in the circle of belonging. This is why we gather in circles to remember that we are all equal. There's nothing above, below, behind, or in front of us. We are equal in the circle of belonging. So once we have respect and relationship in place, we get to a place of responsibility. We have to continue to nurture that, engage in that way, and perhaps utilize some of our morals and teachings that come from the seven grandfather teachings. And the seven grandfather teachings are wisdom and bravery, truth, respect, honesty, humility, and love. These are universal behaviors that emulate and embody. And through those morals and values, we engage with the world around us and we address everything as living and equal. And in that process, we are practicing reciprocity. We are showing respect, developing a relationship and being responsible for it. These are really important values for us. And we use these amongst human beings, but also amongst the mineral world, the plant world, the animal world, the sky world. And deep inside of the earth, we send our thoughts from our heart to all of those spaces and places using the four R's of engagement. We also kind of compartmentalize our thoughts into teaching um, tools. And so one of the most common in the world today is the medicine wheel. Medicine wheel teachings are layers and layers and layers of wisdom and knowledge that address everything that exists, both seen and unseen. And, and here you're seeing a, an example of kind of the basic way we categorize and, and kind of um, show the place of belonging and balance and harmony that exists. So we know that there are four elements that are vital for all life. This would be earth, air, fire, and water. And on the medicine wheel, it's divided up into four quadrants and there are different colors assigned to the medicine wheel. And in different territories, these items that you see here, like the directions and the colors assigned to it and what medicines would sit there or changes. And so you have to be mindful of whose territory you're in. But generally, the East is the place of new risings. It's the beginning. And so the element that resides there is fire. So think about the skies. It starts to pink the, the landscape and the horizon as the sun begins to rise. Right, The fire in the sky that warms every single day and brings life to the earth meaningfully in a micro way and a macro way.
And then we, we bring our hearts and minds together and we think about the earth herself. And in this image, it's located in the southern direction. And when we think about the earth, this is where we plant our feet. This is where we glean sustenance. And the earth is um, sometimes referred to in lots of different names, right? In our language, we call her Aki. Aki. It describes what holds her body together. Aki, the earth. And then we get around to um, the western doorway, and in this place is the water, in this, in this example. And we know that water is, is the life veins of the earth herself, and indeed the life that we need inside of our veins is very, very important. And then when we go up into the northern direction, we have the air or the wind. This helps to clean the atmosphere for us, but it also, up in the, in the sky world, in the air world, is where water is held in a different form. So as we go around this medicine well, we can see the interactions and the interconnected relationships that are very um uh, well presented, I would say, about our cosmology, how we see the world itself. Now, this is the word we call water. It's one of the many words, nebe. So if you're listening and you're you're looking at this, try saying it, nebe. Some people will say nebe. Both are correct, or just dialect differences, but we have many words for water, not just one word. And it describes different sacred parts of water. First Nations talk about water in, in ceremonies in lots of sacred ways, but we're also talking about water because we're dealing with the water crisis in this country. And it's, this is a water rich country. How is this even happening? How is this possible? But many, many communities are forced into purchasing clean, drinkable water. And it's very costly for communities. It's also crazy that this is a reality in some ways. You know, water is a right. It is not a commodity. And it is one of the, you know, the, the main life resources that comes from the earth that ever understand how important our relationships are to water. When archaeologists search for us and our remains in a historical sense, they always find our fires next to water bodies, rivers and lakes and streams and oceans. We have always understood that we need to be close to this source that sustains life. In Canada, 60% of First Nations communities are struggling with clean drinking water. Most of them are under boil water advisories, and this has been for over 30 years. It's unbelievable that on reserve, people are dying of thirst. Literally, they cannot drink the water. And boiling water, just so you know, does not make it drinkable, does not make it okay. It makes it a little bit safer. But oftentimes that water smells terrible, tastes terrible, and has things that just can't simply um, evaporate out of the water through boiling to make it clean and safe. So in First Nations communities, they don't have the luxury, you know, of watering their lawn because they want a nice green lawn. They want to do um, laundry and they want to take a shower and they want to quench their thirst. So the basics are not even being accessible in our in our communities and i'd love to see this change i'd love to see our hearts and minds come together and then our voices pressure 
those that have the power to commit to this change to actually manifest it. We've been waiting a long time. And it's not that we're not interested in doing it for ourselves. First Nations communities on reserves are controlled by the system of the Indian Act. And the Indian Act defines how much money your community will operate with, what you can spend it on. And there are basics that people need in First Nations communities, like housing as well. And they need infrastructure and they need spaces and places to gather. So there are lots of things to think about on reserve. And when you come and think that they can't turn on the shower or, you know, wash their dishes or do laundry and there won't be water there, you could turn on that pipe and run it all day, all night, all year, and you'll still have uh, clean drinking water coming out of out of the pipes. I'd love to see that for our communities as well. So let's hope that can change sometime soon. There have been many um, solutions that have been explored. And, and we know that um, First Nations drinking water is a continuous problem. Every time we have an election, the water issue comes up. And I, you know, I think about how long we've been waiting and how, you know, we're, we're still trying to navigate that system and how in ways to fix that. Now, there's a, a, an example here of perhaps increasing the tax rate by 0.5%. And they could fix water systems across the country. 0.5% is not dramatic. And it's part of our natural resource that we should be able to access freely. So I hope you'll support the, uh, you know, the, the clean, free drinking water that we should all have. And I hope you'll join us in the change because this is a shared journey. We cannot do this alone. You, as a Canadian citizen or a treaty partner, and in that treaty partnership, you have agreed to share all resources equally. When we don't have access to clean drinking water, there's inequality that is existing. And we have the ability to change this individually and collectively by using our voices, by putting pressure collectively and individually on you know the, the authorities, whether they are provincial or federal, to, to meaningfully walk their talk when they say they're going to help fix this long-standing issue. For us, we honor the spirit of water. Water is a living being to us, and we consider it a gift. So in our world, we respect this gift and we do lots of things to show our respect. Here's something you might not know or maybe haven't thought about it in this way. And I always like to encourage people to recognize that water is magical. Did you know that water is magical? Did you know that it has memory, that it remembers things, it actually holds memory? Did you know it can respond to our words, what we say, what we think, what we feel? All of that is a form of communication that water responds to. Did you know it's a molecule? It's a molecule that changes. And did you know that it loves good words and songs? And I'd even add prayers. Well, we as First Nations people, Métis and Inuit are not uh, 
religious in our origin, in our original teachings, we are deeply spiritual and we understand the power of prayer. We understand that when you speak words, when you sing words, when you feel strong emotions, it is an energy that goes somewhere. It goes out to all of creation. And then creation in turn responds to that. This is a water molecule. And it kind of looks like a beautiful, geometrically perfect, um, I would say like a, a snowflake. When the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's a snowflake. But it's an actual water molecule. And when you look at it, it's remarkable and shiny. It's just beautiful and perfect in so many ways. Well, there's a scientist, a water scientist. His name is Dr. Masaru Emoto. He's no longer walking the earth. But he did some research on water and the livingness, the responsiveness of water. He learned that through this that you can you can capture, you can record about the water. And so he did some experiments using good words. Uh, words like compassion and thank you and wisdom. And as you look at these images, you can see how those snowflake images, they, they change kind of their shaping and their orientation. But you can also notice how geometrically perfect they are. They are shiny and, and healthy and sparkly. They're very, very inviting. And then he did uh, a series of experiments in capturing uh, of the images of unkind words. And he used some heavy metal music. And you can see that the image of the, well, the the, the actual water molecule is not even identifiable. It just looks like a, a pool of swirling darkness. And then uh, the words, I will kill you. Well, that's pretty dramatic. But you can see that the water is uh, doesn't even look like water. That it doesn't look like a water molecule. It just kind of looks like a a bit of lava, dried up lava, in a in a very deep yellow color. Um, and he did some other words, and you can just see how the water actually changes. And then there's a, there's the end picture here where. Um, the water before and after a Buddhist prayer. So the picture below is before, and then the prayers are given, and you get this beautiful, almost jewelry-like image of a water molecule. This is just from speaking words. Can you imagine the power of prayer? Here are some more images, again, using different words, and you can see the geometric shapes of each water molecule changes it changes in design, it changes in shape, um, and it's all very beautiful. And then as you get to very unkind words, you start to see the huge degradation in the explosion of the water molecules, the disfigurement, the discoloration. And in his research, he, always, he also spoke about the change in smell. The water starts to smell um, with unkind words. In the Anishinaabe world, we have always believed that everyone and everything has a job in creation. We don't just come here and get to loaf. We have a job and we come with gifts. And part of our cosmology, part of our teaching is that it is a woman's job to care for the water because we're considered life givers. And how do we carry life? 
Well, we carry it in our wombs, literally in our bodies. Babies are surrounded with this beautiful life force that keeps them safe and buoyant. But we also believe in that process that womb water holds all of the memories of our ancestors. So you essentially marinate in the wisdom and knowledge of our ancestors while you're in utero. And so for us, if you take that as a micro teaching and you extend that into a macro teaching, the womb water of the earth, so the oceans and the seas, is the same kind of reintegration, reorientation to that original truth, that original teaching. Womb water and the ocean water has the same saliency. It's salty water and it's exactly the same. So when we look at that and we examine that, we consider water a medicine, a sacred medicine, one that we are responsible for, one that we must interact with, one that we must honor. There's a saying that has become really common around water, especially in, in the last uh, decade or so, uh, connected to water. And it's this term, water is life. And you'll see lots of posters and images, especially at Standing Rock. We saw a really big um, surfacing of imagery that talked about water being life as they protested the insertion of a pipeline through a water source that nourished an entire community and its lands. And this would be disrupted. And of course, destroyed in some ways because all pipelines leak and we can't drink oil in any form. We are, we are beings of water and we need to drink water. And so the protest about this be together and using your voice to protest the disruption of something that actually provides life and sustains life. This was a beautiful moment for many of us, you know, in, in our our circles of community. In, uh, in Canada here, there was a whole movement that spread across the world started, that started um, using a process called water walking. And as soon as I say water walking, lots of people get this image in their head of Jesus walking on water. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about walking for the water in prayer. We're talking about sending good words out with the understanding that those words go somewhere and have an effect on the water, just as Dr. Emoto's scientific research validated. Interesting to note that Grandmother Josephine Mandamon and Dr. Emoto met and shared and compared traditional teachings, our cosmology, our belief systems, and each was able to validate the work that each was doing separately and collectively. One of the things that Grandmother Josephine noticed was that in, in about the 70s, she noticed that the water was beginning to change in the Great Lakes. And as the water began to change, she also noticed that the actual level of waters in the Great Lakes was beginning to go down and the uh, health and wellness of it you could visually see was degrading as well. And she was concerned about it. So she went to her spiritual leader and uh, guide and asked, what could they do about this? She was concerned about it. She knew that women are protectors of the water. We carry water, you know, in, in our wombs, in, in our bodies that we pray for, 
for all of creation, not for human beings and for motherhood. And so the teacher said to her, well, what are you going to do about it? And so she went and she she thought and prayed about this and, and came to the conclusion that it's time to resurrect our water ceremonies. It's time to bring this out to the world and nudge people into better relationships, more meaningful relationships with this, this life force, this life-giving force, that is not a resource. She was quoted as saying, the water is sick. And people need to really fight for that water. They need to speak for that water. And most importantly, they need to love that water. Those actions are the ones that she supported through water walking. She picked up her copper pail. She had no funding, no money, and not a lot of support at that time. And got up praying, started singing, started making offerings, sacred offerings. One of them was tobacco. And speaking to the water, apologizing, letting her know that we're so sorry. We haven't been taking care of you. We love you. We respect you. And she started teaching others about these words and this action and cleaning up in her walks. She walked all of the Great Lakes in prayer for all of creation. She wore out eight pairs of running shoes. She had three knee replacements. And still she walked. Still she encouraged others to do the same to pick up at a grassroots level responsibility for the water, to come with an attitude of, of respect and to develop a beautiful, meaningful relationship to this life force. And it has spread across the world. She was on television, radios, podcasts, books. Her face is a is a known face and a recognizable face for the work she did, especially here in Canada, but indeed across our great island, North America, to create and develop and honor uh, an awareness that this is something that we can do and we can invite others to elevate that into you know, rights as opposed to commodification. She said in our traditional teachings that the next great war that's going to occur across the world is not going to be about gold and minerals and land. It's going to be about water and who has access to that. I hope that day never comes. In 2017, I had the great honor of helping to organize the Great Lakes Water. This was a time where we brought all different faith-based nations together. Uh, over a thousand people attended on one of the hottest days of the year, by the way. It was 40 degrees Celsius that day. And over a thousand walkers came from all across the GTA and from all different faith-based backgrounds and all different ethnicities and genders. And they came with the committed universal um, idea of praying for the water, bringing the various ceremonies that come from different cultures and performing that at the edge of Lake Ontario on the shores uh, located in Toronto. And it was beautiful. Josephine was there. Grandmother Josephine was leading that walk, as was Grandmother Shirley Williams, two beautiful Anishinaabe grandmothers who survived presidential school. 
people retained their language and help about how we speak to the water in our languages, what songs we can sing and, and embrace in that process. And I'm so grateful to them. I'm so grateful to all the people who came and stood in solidarity, who brought their ceremonies, sang their songs, spoke their words, offered their prayers. That day was a remarkable day. And I know it's one that filled the heart of Grandmother Josephine, whose goal, whose wish is that we will learn the songs and learn the ceremonies and spread this across the world and invite each and every person, male, female, in-betweens, children, older people, you know, moms, dads, aunties, uncles, anybody into this, this act of honoring the water and protecting the water to ensure it is here for all those who will come along after us in the same way that all those who came before us did that for us right now. I thank her for that, miigwech. We talked about the, the quote that she said, which was, you know, the water's sick and people need to really fight for that water. So you might be asking yourself, what can we do to help? Well, there's so many things you can do to help. The first and most important thing, of course, is to love that water. But you can sing to the water. Some people think that's a little bit silly, but we believe in singing. It's another way that we as Anishinaabe people pray. We sing. We sing to all of creation and we know that song can, it has no boundaries. It just ripples out and it keeps rippling out. So we sing. We also use it as a form of prayer, but we also pray. We use prayer as a form of connection and relationship building. This is founded on love. And then of course, we do our best in every instance to keep it clean. When we're water walking, we walk with bags. We pick up all kinds of garbage that we see. It's unbelievable what people will dump into the water. It's unbelievable what surfaces in the water. It's very sad how dirty water affects the beings who live in that space. That's their home. They can't just get up and get out of there and say, well, I don't want to be here anymore. That's their home and they're trying to navigate and sometimes ingest things that are not good for their bodies. So, you know, our our encouragement, our reminder, our nudges to, to remember that when you look at something as sentient or mistreated, that's a beautiful quote that comes from um, elder and grandmother Shirley Williams. We see water differently in lots of different ways. We, we know that there are different types of water. So one of those waters is Nunziabo. This is that universal water. We believe that there are levels above us of sacredness and spirituality where water comes from. And, and there's a beautiful woman up there that, that brings that water to the earth. And so we speak and pray to her and invite her to continue to provide to us. We also have another water called Dodo Wobble. This is breast water. This is the first water that we feed our children when they come into this realm. It is whole and complete. It is sacred. And it is a powerful um, realm of antibodies and, and nutrition that is tuned into the specifics of that child at any age and stage of their nursing life. So nursing is really important in our world. It's one of the ways that we transmit, sustain, and maintain a good life. 
Manopamats with the good life. We also have this Muskowabal. This describes red water. You know, the literal translation would be red water. And so this is the monthly flow that cleanses our wombs every month. Women have this cleansing that happens every month that prepares the womb for life or the possibility of life. And it is a sacred process for us. We have no shame about our monthly cycles. We know that it is a time when a woman is most powerful. It is a time when she has a connection to all the women who came before that have brought life to this planet. There's no human who comes to this earth except through the womb of a mother. So that muskowabo, that red water that happens monthly, is that cleansing of that sacred space. And then we have midday wobble. And I know you're not here for a language lesson, but I have to bring our language into this because they are, these are ancestral teachings that come from our people. And so that, that midday wobble is the medicine water. It's the water we create when we speak to the water, when we sing to the water, when we think about the water, we are creating this beautiful sacred medicine water. Now, for those of you that are religious, you know, in church, they bless the water, right? You have holy water. What makes holy water? It's the prayers. It's the words you're speaking to the water. And in our world, it's no different. We create medicine water or sacred water or holy water through our prayers, through our songs, through the honoring of our relationship to that life force. We use copper. And there are many indigenous nations around the world that understand that water and copper go together. And, and copper has this ability to clean the water. It needs to sit in there for about four hours. And at a molecular level, the water changes. And then if we speak good words to water that's in a copper vessel, it's like an amplifier, a megaphone. It, it amplifies what it is that we are saying. So it's important to us that we say good words. So when we're water walking, we are carrying a bucket of water and we're putting lots and lots of prayers and songs into that water. And then we'll take that water and we'll return it at the end of our water walk to the water source that we have walked and prayed for and it will uh, expand into all of that water all of our prayers you know all of those beautiful uh, perfectly geometric uh, healthy water molecules that i showed you through dr moto's work those start to spread out and help to heal the water this is our belief system but at a scientific level it's proven to be true I want to stop the process of Indigenous people in this country dying of thirst. This is a water-rich country, and we need to understand that it is not a commodity. You know, it is a right, and so free and equal access to something that is necessary for any, any person's life needs to happen. So I want to remind you all clean water is a human right. 
And this has been embraced, you know, in, in a universal document, in a worldwide Indigenous document, because Indigenous people around the world are struggling with access to this. It's not just here in Canada, and it's not just an Indigenous issue. It is a Canadian issue, because Canada is responsible for this disconnect, this this lack of access through mining, you know, through resource um, expansion, extraction. It has affected the waterways. And then the idea that out of sight, out of mind is a, is, is a great way to deal with garbage that humans are creating. You know, the amount of garbage that gets dumped into any water, body of water around the earth right now is shocking, horrifying. We have islands of plastic in the oceans that are larger than New York State. And, and animals are ingesting these. We have the microbeads that is now in all of our fruits and, and, um, and vegetables and, and, and things that we are ingesting on a regular basis. And we can't even see those. You know, our bodies are filling up with plastic. And plastic does not digest, nor does it assist the body in a good life in any way. So maybe we can all support this. Maybe we can support the idea that there should be enough water, that it's affordable and or free, ideally free. It's safe, it's accessible, and it's an acceptable health level. And, you know, this the acceptables in here, and it's important to me because we talk about boil water advisories and people are like, well, all you have to do is just boil the water and then it's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. And it doesn't taste good. And most people would not want to cook with it, let alone wash with it. And if our, if our skin is the largest organ on our body and we're bathing in water that is not clean, that is truly not safe, we are certainly diminishing the health system, the overall health system of a human being who's forced to endure this type of water. Right, so the socioeconomic degradation, the health challenges, all of these things that come and are connected to water are not of our own doing when we're living on reserve. And certainly off reserve, we would not tolerate this. So I want to remind you that First Nations lives matter. Children can take care of water too. Now, there's lots of things, children and adults alike. Remember to pick up trash, even if it's not yours. You never know where it's going to, you know, catch the wind and end up in the water. A good example of uh, a common uh, water pollutant is just cigarettes and cigarette butts. Uh, when, when you throw your cigarette butt out the window, where do you think it goes? And it's full of toxins. We know that it's full of poisons. And we know that humans. Can you imagine what it does to a small animal like a turtle or fish? And when they eat it, and if they eat enough of it, they're literally poisoning themselves from the inside out, from the carelessness of human beings. I encourage people to never flush poisons and medications down um, the toilet. And it's a closed system, this this cleaning system for water. And, uh, and when, um, when some of it is released, uh, those poisons and medications get into the bigger bodies of water sources as well, and it can do nothing but harm. <laughs> so we need to we need to be careful about how we you know discard uh, poisons and medications. We can also remind our relatives to keep the water clean. You know, think about what you're doing. Be present. Be conscious. Be responsible. And most of all, be respectful to your mother, the earth. We can do things like taking shorter showers, 
you know, for half an hour, 45s going down the drain just for that luxury. And then a First Nations community member would just love to have a glass of water and doesn't have that same access. We need to put things into context sometimes to remember how important this is. How many people brush their teeth with the tap just running, 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 running? Did you know we flush our toilets with drinkable water? Oh, and drink from the toilet but we flush our toilets with drinkable water. Teach your friends, your family, your networks, your circles of engagement to be water careful and water aware. And to be mindful of what you're saying around water, to go and visit her, go talk to her, engage with her. Remember to only use what you need. That's part of conservation, but it's also an act of respect. Of course, always saying nice things to the water is really important. We have a, a song that we use, and these are the words in the song. Water, we love you. Water, we thank you. And water, we respect you. That's the English translation. And um, this, is, this is the song itself in our language. I'm going to sing it for you right now because I'm going to get ready to answer questions. I can see the Q&A starting to fill up with some comments and questions. And I'm looking forward to answering your questions. I'm not an expert. I'm a traditional grandmother who really loves and cares for the life force that connects us all. And so what I share with you here today is from my heart to your heart. And so is this song. It was created by a grandmother who used to go to the water every day with her grandson and pray to the water. And he tugged on her sleeve one day and said, no, can our prayers? And so this song came to be and encouraged us to embrace. And it's also a song that she has asked, gets translated into every language on earth. So that around the world, we're communicating to the water. The water knows all languages. Right? And the intention and the great love inherent in the song is a great tool for change. So I'm going to sing it four times to the four cardinal directions. I'm going to offer those prayers to you. I'm going to send thanks to your ancestors. And I'm going to send hope for our descendants that they will have access to water. It'll be good. It'll be clean. It'll be well-loved. And it will give them the connections and memories that they're seeking as they navigate their own life walk. You can try singing it with me two more times. 
Gies go. Gimme gwe go. Oh, if you were singing the song, and even if you weren't, miigwech for listening. It is important. It is important for all of us to recognize that this is something we can all do something about. We are engaging on a daily basis with this. We are the living embodiment of water and the life inherent and connected to it. What we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. So I remind you, I remind you to do your best. I'm going to stop sharing now. And I'm going to start exploring um, the questions um, that have, uh, hopefully, I can read in this very tiny writing on screen. Huh. So, the, uh, the and I'm looking for water-specific questions. Um, yep, I'll start my video. And... Uh, how can I, as an Indigenous-owned business, help to spread awareness and help? Such a good question. Miigwech for that question. It is important as Indigenous-owned businesses to be mindful in your place of business, how you're actually using water. I think about restaurants, you know, and how many times they just have the tap running and, and how many times they need to perhaps run dishes through to get washed. And are these, you know, do you have the latest equipment? Is it um, conserving water well? Is it reusing water? Uh, in Indigenous businesses and in any business, you know, the idea of collecting water and reusing water in all of its different formats, like gray water and having rain barrels is a really meaningful way to help perhaps um, water your plants, you know, that you have in your, and I hope everybody has plants around them, but you know, in, in your, in your building, in your space itself. I think there's lots of common sense ways to help spread awareness. Um, March 22nd is, you know, World Water Day and people take time to think about the water and ceremonies take place across the earth. Maybe you can put some signage up. Maybe you can create some awareness within your place of business about the types of water you use and, you know, what, you're, what, what you stand for, what values and morals are you supporting and making that a normalized part of your business. Uh, there's a comment here that says, personally, I would buy a plot of land and sell it to a First Nation to build on. And First Nations should be able to create their own water systems. So creating water systems is a complex process, but it's also a very costly process. 
in cities, we have this whole invisible infrastructure in the ground itself that supplies water to you. And that water comes from a plant that cleans the water the best that they can and then sends it back out to you. And most of those plants draw on large bodies of water sources like the Great Lakes themselves to continue that operation and renew themselves. So this is a great idea, but it also needs to come hand in hand with some sort of financial infrastructure to make it a reality, right? It would be great. It would be great if we could have land that we could build water systems on and reservations or reserves. In Canada, they're called reserves. South of the border, they're called reservations. Those spaces and places are crown land. They, they belong to the king and queen of England. And, and so that land itself is not even ours, but that land is controlled by the Indian Act. And the Indian Act, as I spoke about earlier, decides how much money you have to operate as a community, what you can spend it on. And it never really gives a big chunk of money dedicated to creating water infrastructure so that on reserve, you could have access to that. And in the remote communities, the, that type of infrastructure is very, very difficult to imagine, let alone insert if you're, if you're living on land that's frozen for most of the ye year, how do you put a piping system in the ground where it wouldn't freeze or even above ground so that water could get to people? So it's very complex. And it's, you know, those are great ideas, but not easy solutions. They're oftentimes, their complexity makes them kind of stop at just ideas and not actually coming into fruition. What is the significance of copper used in the pails for water ceremonies? So I did speak about that in the presentation. Copper is a magnifier, so our prayers get amplified when we when we carry the water in our in our copper pails. And many, many women will carry a mini little copper cup. And when we do our prayers, we put a little water in there and we put our own individual prayers. And then collectively we bring that all together and send those prayers out to all of the water sources above, below, and within us because we know that all waters are connected and it comes in all forms. I see a comment here that says treaties were never genuine. I think, I think the intentionality behind treaties was genuine and part of the treaty making process. And if you're a Canadian citizen, you're a treaty partner. Uh, part of the treaty making process was to share resources equally. And we're not seeing that. And so there's this, there's this problem with access to water for First Nations people on reserves in particular, right? Um, so I just think we need to revisit what the treaty relationships were intended to be originally and honor that intention. I think that would be a really great step forward and also connects us to the path of reconciliation. And, you know, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Report came out in 2015. It does address water and water issues. So if you're looking for next steps or something you can align yourself with, I encourage you to read the TRC report. The Truth and Reconciliation Report is a free report. You can get it online. You can read a Coles Notes version. It's divided up into different categories, and it speaks about resource sharing and honoring and um, respecting, you know, the, the things that sustain us all. Uh, but First Nations people have been excluded in lots of ways, especially with economic development in in our territories, right? So, so just the sheer 
uh, resource harvesting that takes place causes harm. It benefits a few, but it it, it also harms um, our communities in particular and the lands and territories that surround us. Um, is there a link to the scientific paper discussed? If you're referring to Dr. Emoto, easily Googleable. You can Google, I don't know if Googleable is a word, but you can Google it. Uh, Dr. Emoto's work is all there. And he's not the only one. There's other scientists who've done some work on this as well. I'm not an expert on it, but I do refer to it because I think it's just so visually wonderfully validating that the energy that comes from speaking good words um, has an effect that is measurable and, and you can capture it. Um, and of course, a lot of people believe solely in, in Western science and indigenous science is a little bit different. And so our expansiveness and understanding about the world around us is a little bit harder to explain. Uh, it's based uh, you know, on practice belief and just the long time of existence that we've been here. Uh, so there's a comment here that says, this wonderful presentation also connects me to the work of Dr. Moto from Japan and his work on water. So somebody else actually knows about Dr. Moto's work. I encourage you to just explore it, just out of interest sake, you know, just, just explore it and see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> could, could I please talk about grandmothers reading water in ceremony? Um, I'm not sure what this question refers to and, and specifically what you are asking of me, uh, but it's not just grandmothers who um, deal in water ceremonies. Uh, you use the word reading, so that's uh, confusing me a little bit, but it's all, all ages, from the youngest to the oldest. Um, doesn't matter if you're a grandmother, a mother, an auntie, a sister, a daughter, a niece, uh, an uncle, a grandfather, a father. It, everybody is involved in water ceremonies to differing capacities with different responsibilities. I have a comment here that says, I don't have a question, but thank you so much for your presentation. <laughs> and my earrings are quite beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let's see what else we have. Can we move past half-hearted acknowledgements and actually allow Indigenous people to reestablish villages in their communities? Like, why not let the Wendat, the Mississaugas, rebuild? So this, this is a, a beautiful sentiment. But, you know, all of Canada is built on stolen land, and it is owned by somebody or someone's, you know, something. And it's very difficult to reestablish villages on land that already has buildings and, and, and concrete and pavement and, um, and homes and businesses. So for us, you know, one of the ways that we're looking at reestablishment is to remind people that we have a relationship to the earth, that we have responsibilities to this region we call home, which is Turtle Island, and that we encourage others to become sensitized, aware, and embrace what those responsibilities entail. Thank you so much for that, that comment. Land back, no more empty gestures. You know, land back would be wonderful. One of the ways that Canada could support uh, kind of an expansion of who we are as our communities grow, especially beyond the borders of reserves, is crown land. 
if crown land can be returned to indigenous people across the country, one, we'd have enough space to expand, develop in infrastructure, and then we could access some of those water sources that are kind of restricted now based under rules and regulations by organizations like the Ministry of Natural Resources. They have a different idea about how to engage with water than indigenous people do. So we come into a bit of conflict at times and uh, we're trying to find ways to you know, circumvent that so we can we can bridge relationships that are meaningful and have united gestures or um, um, actions that are in sync with each other's responsibilities and and mandates on you know on on how to have that relationship. Uh, there's a, a comment here. I live in Toronto. Could I walk down to the lake and just pray, speak to the water in Lake Ontario? Yes, you can. That's what we did at the Great Lakes Water Walk in 2017. Please do it. Go to your streams, go to your rivers, speak to the water you can't even see beneath your feet. There's water, you know, all over in the earth that's flowing that we don't even see. All right. Speak to all of the waters. Would it bless the water if I do it in my home after drawing water from the tap? Oh my gosh, these are such good questions. Absolutely. In our teachings, our traditional teachings in particular, they say before you drink water, and it's the first thing you should put in your mouth every day, take a moment to acknowledge it. Just give her thanks. As soon as we say thank you, just thank you, it said that we change the molecular level of the water into medicine water. So then we're drinking something that can actually help heal the water. We also do things like uh, give the water a bit of instruction. You know, maybe, maybe you've got a tummy ache. So you're going to take a glass of water and ask her to go down to that stomach area and help relieve that discomfort. Maybe you've got, I don't know, uh, an ache somewhere in your body. Ask the water to go there and help tend to that and relieve that ache. So we actually give instructions because if she is a sentient being, if that life force water is a sentient being, we're going to talk to her like we talk to each other and give some direction so that water knows specifically how to help, where to go. So yes, you can speak to the water at the top. You can speak to the water in your bath. You can speak to the water that you're cooking with. You can speak to the water that's up in the sky world and the cloud forms and the steam and the fog you can speak to the water that's beneath the earth that you can't even see ocean streams lakes a single drop of water they're all equal they're all part of that living um, entity that life force that connects us and thank you for that that comment and that question um Okay, here is my last question that I can see here. What are your thoughts on water smudging? In a correctional institution where I work sometimes, it is the only option. It is not my regular practice. Should I be following a different protocol? So I can't tell you what to do. Uh, and the idea of water smudging is, is kind of like a water blessing, right? It's speaking to the water. Some people will put water, you know, on their third eye. Some people will put water on their, on their heart area. Oftentimes when we pray for the water, we, we will give some to the earth with that, you know, with that prayer medicine in it. And then we'll drink that water ourselves. That's why we have our little copper cups. Oftentimes we will share water from a singular water vessel and we'll speak to that water we'll pray to that water and then we'll share it with everybody 
who is present. So there are lots of ways to engage with water that are meaningful and they are powerful. You know, I always try to remind people that intent travels ahead of physical action. So what you intend is what you will meet. So simply intend well. It's very easy for any and everybody, whether people know or not, to do this work just by your thoughts. Um, okay, this is the last comment I see here. And they're saying, hi, Kim, this workshop is really amazing. And thank you so much for this learning. Thank you, thank you for that response. My question is, are you able to give your contact information? Well, I'm sure I could. Uh, I'm sure I can do that uh, outside of this. Um, they're working for uh, an agency and looking deeply at land acknowledgements and really wanting to expand staff, um, mind, knowledge, and education with the land, water, animals. So can I just remind you that, you know, in the expansion of this, we're all Indigenous from somewhere. We all have wisdom and knowledge about this. And I understand that it's nice to have an Indigenous person lead it, but I also want to remind you that you as an individual probably know more than you think. And yes, we come, you know, with, with some of the, the teachings and the tools that are part of our cosmology and our, our ceremonial practices and protocols, but you also have references for that. And so what I feel like we do when we come is we just nudge you into remembering what you already know. We remind you, we remind you to remember in a responsible way. Anytime you read anything, it's to do again. You know, it's, it's to kind of revisit again. And so, yes, we're always happy to come and help give our perspectives and provide some leadership in that capacity. But I don't want you to think that it's solely in our world. You have the ability and you have the responsibility to do it in your world as well. When we, when we, when we remember that we can do this and then we actually breathe life into it by walking our talk, you know, by actually sending those good thoughts out, out there, by actually showing up and, and doing what you can to speak for the water, to pray for the water, to protect the water. When you engage with water at any level, in any capacity, you can change how it engages with us by what you're thinking, by what you're saying, um, by your intentions. Because all communication has an energy level that ends up in the water. And she responds, um, you know, it, to that, uh, in all of those good, in all of those good ways, I would hope. So I want to thank you so much for taking time to listen to me and taking time to put your questions out there and to uh, perhaps expand your own personal um, relationship with water. We call it nibe in our world, and when we're drinking it, we call it nabish. And there's a sacredness in using the, the, the language that addresses the water that helps to facilitate that change that you saw in those images captured by Dr. Emoto. There are so many things that you can do as an individual right now. Just even thinking about water, you're sending energy out there. You know, there's water in the air we breathe. If there wasn't, we wouldn't be able to breathe the water. H2O is the, you know, the... Um, the uh, scientific term for 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 water and water can it can take any shape it it can change shapes 
it can break down the biggest, most giant rock on earth over time. Just one drop of water can create this great cavern. You know, water is very powerful. It can also be scary. You know, we look at things like tsunamis and, uh, and, and things like that. Um, people can be very afraid of water. And for us, we're never afraid. We respect her power and her energy. We understand that there are multiple um, spectrums of access and relationship building. And, and so when things like that happen, we spend a lot of time praying for the healing of the water, for the offense we may have caused in some ways, you know, by not treating her well. It is usually a way of messaging. The earth responds to us and interacts and communicates with us in lots of different ways. And we, in turn, can communicate in lots of different ways. Like the songs I spoke about, right? Like the words, like the poems, like the artwork, like the dancing. Any type of communication is communication. And if it's intentionally focused on the water, it has an invitation and an effect. It interacts with the water. So I always encourage people to think about that. You know, the titling of this presentation was Going With The Flow. Yes, it's a bit of a pun, but it's also a reality check. It's also a reality check. Your first moments into this, this earthly realm, into this dimension was through the flow of that birth water, right? Your last, a moment on this earth, your body will be bathed again. You get a bath in entry and you get a bath on your exit. <laughs> we understand that in our traditional teachings, your very last bath is a cedar bath. We boil cedar, white cedar is common in this area. And we, we create a, a medicine water to offer that kindness and to send your spirit off in a good way and honor the body that housed your spirit for your life walk because you are a spiritual being first and you get this meat suit for you know maybe 60 80 100 years but the suit goes back to the earth the spirit lives forever and as an eternal being it is your responsibility to remember that you have an impact in this life walk right now so think good things say good things do good things that is part of the power of free will. It is your choice to interact in that way by choice. So go with the flow, everybody. It's been my honor to share from my heart to your hearts. I hope it's helpful. I hope it's empowering. I hope it's encouraging. And I hope you'll share with another. We have a bit of an audience here, but who else could benefit from this, this message or these messages? Who else could help us do this work? Who else could honor our treaty relationships whole and complete? We don't need handouts, we need hand-ups. So we encourage you to not see us as some sort of a burden and an imposition, but rather wisdom keepers, knowledge keepers, who are here to remind all Canadians who choose to call this sacred island of ours home, that you have a responsibility to us, but to all of creation, because it affects all of creation. So I give thanks to the earth, the air, the fire, the waters. I give thanks to our first mother, the earth, Mishkikamikwe, I give thanks to your ancestors and all of those who are present and all those who come long after us. 
I give thanks for all the things that create Manoba Matsu in that good life. Oh, me, Gwetch. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much, Kim Chimikwich. We appreciate your teaching today and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us and helping us to understand the role we all play in keeping our water safe and respecting its importance. We have a lot to do and, and a lot of good work to do, so it's wonderful. I did have a quick question. Are there water walks planned that we could participate in? So this is a great question. I love this question uh, and I'm, I'm so happy that you asked it. You know, water walking is something that you can do because you want to. You can organize small groups. You don't need us to lead it. You can just go to your waterfront. Uh, I know that I think it's TD does the great shoreline cleanup and lots of people will come and literally clear debris. But they're also developing a relationship with the water itself, mm -hmm. right? So water walking is something that you can do in and of your own right. It's just coming together and thinking about the water, maybe offering some prayers, maybe speaking some words, maybe standing in quiet solidarity and just emoting, like literally putting your emotions out there and speaking to her, connecting to her, inviting her into a relationship with you. And also maybe apologizing for the fact that you're, you're only coming to it right now. <laughs> some people live their whole life and never think about about the water, you know, and the livingness of water. So water walking is something that anybody can do. Yes, Indigenous people do organize water walks, and there are many groups that are dedicated creating awareness about that. And there are many very public champions who speak about that. I mean, uh, Autumn Peltier is, is an icon who's gone to the United Nations to defend the rights of water. She stood up since she was a little girl to say, protect the water. She is the... Uh, great niece or great granddaughter of grandmother Josephine Mandamin. And she's a teenager now and she's still speaking for and about the water, but she's one of many children who do this, who has now become, you know, a young person, a champion of this. So yeah, we do water walks still, uh, and we do invite people to come and join us. It requires time. It requires good running shoes. It requires the <laughs> physicality of getting out there and praying. Definitely. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you from Heritage Mississauga and from all of us here today. It has been a wonderful talk. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Be well and be water protectors. Thank you for joining the conversation today. We would like to thank Kim Wheatley for this important presentation, sharing her knowledge and informing us about Anishinaabe traditional practices and relationships with water and how important it is to all of us. Thank you to our sponsors, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation and the Rotary Club of Mississauga for their generous support to bring Indigenous conversations to a wider community through this webinar series. Thank you also to Rotary President Hashim Takvi for joining us today. Join us on November 29th as we welcome Elder Mark Salt, who will present a Sacred Fire teaching. Register today on Eventbrite. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us to stay up to date on upcoming programs and webinars from Heritage Mississauga as we continue to celebrate Mississauga's heritage through research, promotion, and learning.